Welcome to Walk Tall, a podcast brought to you by Carolina Herrera. Forging a career path is hard, and we all know that there's a confidence gap between men and women in business, especially for those just starting out. But what if you could learn from the women who have broken through, challenged stereotypes, and stepped into their power? Well, now you can. Following in the footsteps of Carolina herself, who over the last four decades has become one of the world's most distinguished fashion and beauty designers, this show will empower the next generation of women to reach their full potential in the workplace. We'll be inviting icons in their industries to share their tips, tricks, and takeaways for defining success on your terms. In other words, think of this show as your personal portable career coach. I'm Tony Tone, and in each episode, I'll tackle a different workplace challenge to help you find the confidence to walk tall. This week, we're sitting down with a plus-size pioneer in fashion who is renowned for her body positivity activism and is well on her way to becoming a legend in the modeling world and beyond. I am so excited to welcome this guest. Felicity, thank you for joining us on the Walk Tall podcast. Hi, babes. So I have an amazing intro for you here. You've done a lot. So I'm going to... Sp- I'm going to talk through it. So give me a moment. So let's go to the start of your career journey, where it all began, in a pub in 2012. What were you doing? Dancing to Diana Ross on a table. Dancing (laughs) to Diana Ross on a table. That's quite a legendary career journey, like, start, I think. So your modeling career took off from there. You have posed for the likes of Vogue, Glamour magazine. You have graced the cover of ID, which is amazing. You've been part of campaigns for brands such as Mac, L'Oreal Aviv, and you were the face of one of Katy Perry's models for Indie. Is that correct? That's correct. You've done a lot. You have done a lot. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say about 10 years in the yeah. making? Um, so across your 10 years, you've worked tirelessly to make fashion more accessible for all, which I think is amazing. You were appointed as the first ever Curve Ambassador and stylist for ASOS. And you inspire women of all shapes and sizes to embrace their silhouettes. You've also campaigned for Adidas to stock bigger sizes. I'm so impressed. You have done so much. (laughs) And you remain at the forefront of pushing self-love, acceptance and diversity in the fashion world. You have an amazing brand. Self-love brings beauty. And most recently, you released your debut book, which is amazing, does my butt look big in this? A body positivity manifesto. I think that's like a legendary book name. Thank you. So Felicity, before we get into building confidence in ourselves and our careers, let's start with a question. I want to ask you this question. Okay. What did you want to be when you grow up? An ice cream lady. Really? <laughs> I love that. I still do. <laughs> really? Yeah, I wanted a, um, I wanted an ice cream truck and I wanted to go around the seaside selling ice cream, um, all different pastel um, flavors and colors. I was going to say, when did this change for you? But um, you literally still have that dream. Yeah, I, I just imagined <laughs> myself as this sort of like um, older woman, uh, retired and having all these different pastel, you know, pastel perms and selling ice cream. I love that. Yeah. That's a nice like retirement but, job. But I think like I, I wanted to do that, but now I've sort of, still can't drive which is an issue okay yeah I tried you're gonna need to. um but yeah I think it could be now my retirement job okay yeah. so you're gonna learn how to drive so in retirement you can have the van yeah I love that <laughs> now let's get straight into it so to the wider world you are the queen of self-love and confidence 
Has this always been the case? No, not at all. I think anyone that says they were sort of born confident is is lying. I think especially as women, we have been sort of brought up from even when we were children through to teenagers to um, scrutinise our bodies and always trying to look or be like someone else because essentially um, there are products out there to for us to buy to prey on our insecurities. So there's been so much pressure um, since we were children about our bodies. So no, I was, wasn't always confident. It was something that I sort of catapulted myself into uh, in my career. So it was something that you developed with time then? Yeah. So at the point of you being scouted in this East London pub by Miles Aldridge in 2012, yeah. do you feel like you had the confidence in that moment? I think I had confidence within myself, but not to the extreme that I do now. And I was confident because I come from a very small town and yeah. I always dress differently. Uh, I cut my hair into a mullet when I was 14 and wanted to look like Rod Stewart. <laughs> Um, I always wanted to look a bit different and I think that was because there was no clothes to fit me at that age Mm. like the sort of the fashion trends that they had back when I was younger they didn't do bigger sizes and I used to make clothes with my nan and try and make the most sort of like extreme um, flamboyant I dressed like I was in the 1980s at, at the age of 14 and 15 so I felt like when I was younger I was not so confident in my body because, you know, being curvier when I was younger wasn't really acceptable, mm. which is which is mental. Like, bodies are not a trend. Bodies are the vessel that literally takes you through life. They shouldn't be a trend. Yeah. You know, blue mascara can be a trend. You know, fashion can be a trend, but bodies shouldn't be. But unfortunately, they were. And I, I feel like I was using clothing as armour when I was younger because I was like if they're not going to stock clothes for me on the high street I'm going to make clothes with my nan and that is going to be my armor and that's going to be my confidence and I think when I moved to London and I found all those sort of like young people from small towns that had sort of come together I found my sort of tribe my confidence started to grow a little bit more then because I was like oh like it's not just me in a small town Mm. there's a gang of us who all want to be included within the fashion industry but we're not so we're kind of sort of going to build our own confidence as this sort of yeah this clothing clothing tribe that we had um but yeah it was the confidence within my body was still not there yeah so if your confidence was still developing when you were approached in 2012 by miles how were you sure that modeling was the right step for you Well, to be honest, when, so they approached me and they were like, oh my God, you remind us of Anna Nicole Smith. And I was like, oh my God, amazing. (laughs) You know, she was this blonde bombshell icon that sort of dressed quite, you know, interestingly, I will say. And I loved all of her outfits and stuff, cowboy boots and bikinis and all of that. And I thought, do you know what? Why not do this shoot? My nan is going to love the pictures. And that was ultimately my goal. Oh, I love that. You know, she was the one that helped me dress when I was younger. And I thought, how proud is she going to be that, like, I've somehow managed to get myself in a, you know, in a magazine, in a, in a photo shoot. And I just thought it would be fun. I didn't really think of it 
as any more than just that one shoot. And I would probably have some nice pictures for my social media that would just be fun. Um, and then the shoot, when it came out, it went viral because Miles Aldridge had never used a curvier woman before. He'd always used a very slender frame. Yeah. So I think people just sort of opened their eyes to like, oh, what is this? What is this? How can how can this curvier woman be used in a in a fashion shoot? In light of people having certain opinions when those photos dropped and and that being kind of unfamiliar territory to people in the fashion world, how did you advocate for yourself? Because I imagine the compliments came with some criticism as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, it was strange because I'd been going to sort of fashion parties and stuff in London, as you do. And when the shoot came out and the magazine, everyone was just treating me a little bit differently. Mm. And I was like, oh, is this because of this shoot? Like suddenly I've become... I became a gimmick and I'm fully aware that I was a gimmick at the beginning. But also I thought, you might think I'm a gimmick, but I'm getting to do all these things that are fun. So I was just like, I'm just going to go along with it. I know that I'm only here because of that photographer, but let's just see how much I can push it. And it was like my friends and family were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like we've never seen like a a larger body being represented, you know, in fashion. So I was like, Let's just try and push it. And I think it was my first job. That job was 22, I think 20 or 22 hours long. The job was the 20. It was something crazy. hours long. Maybe How I, did you survive that day? I was getting free food. I was getting my hair and makeup done. <laughs> there was like um, security guards there with diamonds. I was like ringing my nan wow. like there's diamonds here like what is this life like this is crazy um and I just thought it was just really fun and I just thought you know what this is my five minutes um I'm just going to continue to say yes to things yeah because plus those women when and you know what it was only it's only 10 years ago you know modding agencies did not have plus size sections or anything Think about all the brands now that do plus size, like they didn't didn't exist only 10 years ago. So to have that level of confidence when effectively you were one of very few models at that time and to step into that is a huge deal. So I have, I have another question. So yeah. two years after that, you took on your role as the first Curve Ambassador and Stylist for ASOS. Yeah. Um, two years prior, you'd never stepped into the modeling world. Yeah. Did you have a sense of imposter syndrome? Because I find that no matter how successful other people see me, there's yeah. a part of me that still somewhat questions it sometimes. Did you ever have that or? I think so. And it was sort of like, I don't know. I think when you are with, with a job with ASOS, especially, it was like, we want you to help women sort of find their style and find their, you know, how to fit close to their body. I have been doing that my whole life in a weird way. It doesn't mean that I was definitely doing it with confidence at the beginning, but, you know, when there is no space for you, you make space. And I think throwing myself into that industry, I mean, honestly, I, when I got the call from the agent asking if anyone was representing me, I thought I was being punked. Really? Yeah, I was like working a speed dating night at a bar that I was working. I was... Uh, training to be a primary school teacher specializing in autism during the day for free like and then in the evening working at this bar and then I just got this text that come through on my phone was like is anyone representing you we'd like to um 
sign you up to be a plus size model. I was like, they they don't exist. Like, how how can this even be a thing? And I think once I'd done a few shoots and I got the sort of the response for people online, I was like, oh no, I, I need to keep pushing. I need to keep doing this. And I feel that my confidence really was forced. If I'm being completely honest with you, my confidence was forced by the reaction of other people. And the more I did it and the more doors that got opened, the more situations like ASOS happened, I thought, no, I really need to do this, not for myself, but for other people. And the confidence just organically grew because I forced it. And and you said that, um, you, you made a really good point earlier. You said there wasn't really space for you, so you made the space. Yeah. And you were thrust into a scenario where your confidence was forced. But for people listening who maybe aren't in that same situation and that confidence isn't being pushed out of Mm. them through circumstance, how is one way they could create space in an industry where they may feel underrepresented? I think... Everyone, I think, do you know what? Social media has become such a great tool for people being able now to voice their opinions, to create those spaces and to push things that bring them joy. I think confidence for me is, it's always been about, well, confidence now. And if I was to tell people about finding confidence, it is about comfort. Yeah. I wasn't comfortable and I was forced, so that was a completely different scenario. But I think now, if you're in a situation where um, you want to build and you want to do it, it's find things around you that bring you joy. So I always say, if you're looking to push something in a new direction, I always say, write down 10 things or more, 10 things is a minimum of things that bring you joy and bring you comfort and happiness and sort of grow onto those different like if it was like a tree, all these things are different branches. So, you know, if you wanted to um, get into the fashion industry, if you wanted to um, build a brand, why are the things, why do you want to build a brand? What are those things that bring you joy? And it can be simple things of like pink and red. It can be colours, it can be fabrics, it could be people, it could be... Am I making sense? No, you're making a lot of sense. Like, I, I'm hearing that confidence is found in joy. And it makes so much sense because lack of confidence is often rooted in feelings like anxiety, worry, concern. So it only makes very logical sense that confidence is found in joy. You know, if you, I find it so beneficial to write down everything that brings me joy, no matter how small it is. So, you know, if you're having a really bad day and you're like really frustrated with someone, you have anxiety or stress, I have this little pocket of, you know, of, of joy essentially and I look in there and I'm like right I know if I listen to this song it's going to bring that memory if I'm going to cook that food I'm going to do these things and these sort of elements of joy you can it doesn't have to be like for example you might not have time in your day to listen to that favorite album of yours that brings you that just like perfect moment of peace what you could do is you could make that your morning alarm so every morning oh, you hear that song, idea. you know, you hear that song. So it's finding those really small elements of things that bring you happiness. And, you know, that kicks off your day. You're in a bad mood. You listen to that song, you're like, I'm ready. Like, that's such this, a good idea. It's I, I little thought I'm going to go home and change my alarm ASAP. What's it going to be? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I think right now, yeah. break my soul. 
Beyonce. It's a moment. Yes, it's a moment. It's a moment. But imagine. I feel a lot of joy and confidence listening Every to that. time you hear that, you feel good. Yeah. Make it, make it your, I don't know, make it your um, alert tone from your, from your employer or your agent or someone. That's so every time you're like, idea. you think, oh, that's going to be a good message. Hmm, I'm definitely going to do that. I'm yeah. stealing that one. Um, so I was going to ask you for more tips and tricks, but before we get into that, your brand, Self Love Brings Beauty, it launched in 2015. Yeah. What prompted you to start that movement? So, like I said, I got thrown at the industry, uh, no idea what was going on. Also, at the same time, I'm not someone that's always wanted to be in the fashion industry. I found the fashion industry quite... Um, uh, I don't want to say threatening, but I found the quite, it's not a space for me. It's never been a space for me as a plus size woman. So when I got thrown into it, I didn't really care what people thought of me or, you know, I wasn't going to change and try and fit in. Yeah. I, I could never fit in. I'd have to, you know, get rid of half of my body weight to try and it, it, maybe more to try and fit in. So I was just literally having fun and just playing along with it and seeing what happens. And it was so strange because I did a um, a campaign for MAC Cosmetics, also with Mars Aldridge. And, you know, back then they weren't using curvier women in beauty campaigns, mm. only if you were like potentially a celebrity or a musician or whatever, and they were doing a collaboration. So when this campaign came out and I was being interviewed, I remember this, well, <laughs> it happened quite a few times, but this one specific interview this guy was like he didn't ask me any questions about the campaign he didn't ask me anything all he wanted to know was my diet my gym routine and all of these other questions about myself and my body what does that have to do with mac because he was he was interviewing <laughs> me as a plus size model for mac it doesn't and that it's no ridiculous. one would do this in it to this day and age hopefully but i was like i felt like really like upset about it because I was like what has this got to do with the fact that it's such a groundbreaking thing that someone has you know pushed the boundaries and used beauty in a normal campaign and you know with with a plus size anyway I came off that interview and it happened it started to happen quite a few times and I was like do you know what I sat in a bedroom my best friend at the seaside and I was like I was just having a discussion with her I was like do you know what like if that person mm. had self-love within themselves or understood that you know you don't have to be this cookie cutter image exactly. of beauty and that everyone is beautiful if that interviewer understood that you know size wasn't the in and end all of a certain whatever I said if that interviewer understood that self-love is beautiful everyone could have beauty and is beautiful and I just sort of went self-love brings beauty and it sort of stuck in me and I was like you know what Maybe this is something that needs to be discussed online. So I created a hashtag, Self Love Brings Beauty, opened the conversation online, and it sort of catapulted into a sort of, when I say a brand, I mean, it's a message. You know, we had merchandise at the time, but that was just to sort of get the message out there. Yeah. Self Love Brings Beauty is sort of inside me. It's, it's in my blood. It's the message that I always talk about that, you know, and it, it came from that. It came from a bad interviews to being like if people understood that they could be amazing and if everyone understood that you know that interviewer didn't feel good about himself if if people that tried to come for you talking about things in a negative way about your body it's because they don't understand themselves why 
Does that make sense? That makes sense. And I, I was going to ask you, actually, like uh, in the early stages of your career, how did you help yourself feel more self-assured? But I guess it was that understanding then that... It was always a fight. It yeah. always felt like it was a fight. And at the beginning, it was a fight with my body. And then when I got into these spaces, it was a fight with the industry, which became my fuel, really. I was sort of like, oh, hang on a minute. Some people have accepted me, but the other people haven't. So... Yeah, it it was it was a challenge, but it became something that everyone got on board with, and it wasn't just me. You know, yeah. plus size women aren't the only people with confidence issues. It's everybody. Every single. It's person. everybody, but yeah. it's always pinned on people that are potentially larger because that's the way the industry deems beauty. Mm. So it was sort of trying to have that message, but also that message wasn't just for curvier women. It was for everybody and trying to get it to a space that everyone speaks about it. So now in interviews, people aren't asking me about my weight, aren't asking about my health because that that is not needed. As a successful model, you are renowned for your confidence on set. So what are some of the tools you use to help you boost your confidence at work? Honestly, <laughs> and on set... I fake laugh all the time. Really? Like, I'm just going to say that out now. Because sometimes in a situation where, you know, some other people are feeling a little bit insecure or just like a little bit nervous about, I always fake laugh because it shocks everyone. And then everyone else starts laughing at me and then they laugh at themselves and then they get the shot. So that, I'm just saying that in a sense of like modeling. But it's, but I guess at the same time, it's like, it's the false confidence that yeah. I spoke about earlier. It's like putting good energy into a space to make others feel comfortable. In other careers, I think you have to understand like your worth. You're there because you are good at your job and you are, you don't take no shit from anyone. Like remember your worth and remember why you're there. I feel like, you know, when you talked about joy and keeping score of your yeah. joy, I guess keeping score of your achievements then because it can be so easy to forget about your value and the value you bring and your accolades. So if a tip then is telling people to not take shit, remember that they're there for a reason, they're talented. It's about keeping record of your talents. If you you keep record of things that you do? I do, I do. I even have, in my apartment, I even have um, a framed photo of of, uh, Sunday Times from when I was Sunday Times bestseller. I have it. As you walk out my loo, you see it. And that's to remind myself that I did that. You know I have um, your book in my bag, so I want you to sign it. Oh, you must sign it. it. Will, you must sign it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think a lot of us, you're obviously amazing at it, do forget our achievements. And I think I one tool that I do every every year, um, New Year's Eve, or you can do it on your birthday, is do vision boards. Do you ever yes, do vision boards? I, I have um, an Instagram bookmark. And that is my digital vision board. Like, you know, you can have the like bookmarks where you bookmark pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I have a vision board on Instagram. So it's a digital one. Yeah. I just think it's so important because so much, so many times I forget all of the things that I've done and even achieve like the most smallest things, like the smallest steps can actually end up being the biggest versions. That's so true. Yeah. So I think, um, I don't even know what the question was, but I just want to talk no, you, to you about you've hit the nail on the, You've hit the nail on the head. But um, I want to hear this fake laugh. I, I want to hear the fake laugh. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it works. 
it actually works because now I want to laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's terrifying. It's I'm absolutely terrifying. I'm how well you do that. But can I tell you, right, when I started my career, the plus size situation they always wanted the curvy women to be happy and go lucky and you know people would be on set they'd be like quite nervous and stuff and then I'd just be like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's but it, it's, it, it, it just got the picture it just got the picture and it and uh yeah I look like a psychopath I'm aware of it but gets the job done yeah if it does the trick yeah. then perfect uh, so you recently published your <laughs> this first is a real book. laugh I'm a real like, laugh I can't believe I just did that how, how do you tell the difference yeah. is it because you could just switch off the other one just like that or? it's just uh, yeah it's just, yeah I guess it's your secret it's my secret your secret weapon the secret weapon fake laughing um so your debut book yeah does my butt look big in this? A body positivity manifesto. First off, congratulations. Thanks, um, the name. Yeah. When did the name come about? I don't know how old you are. And I'm not going to ask a lady how old she is. Oh, I? I have. I have no shame. Thirty-three. Okay, fine. I'm thirty-four. So okay. Oh, okay. This week, well, so we yeah. would have wouldn't have been the same year. <laughs> but I, the only reason I ask you that is because growing up, you know, in yeah. the nineties, yeah. like. The term I always remember in school, in PE, was, does my bum look big in this? It was a real big, you know, uh, term that people used in the 90s. And it was like, no, no, no. Does my bum look big in this? Does my bum look big in this? And it would be, no, I want to hide, hide myself. You know, being curvy in that time or having any sort of like... <laughs> shape to you was not seen as desirable which is so toxic and awful to think about now but the thing is back then the poster girls of the generation were Brittany and Christina and at that time they were very very thin women yes um and it's not their fault by the way it's it's society and it's culture and it's it's how you know women in particular have been sort of molded into one sort of beauty ideal and that was the question that I always remember from when I was younger is like, you know, not just me, but, you know, my mum, my aunt, like everyone around. It was it was a sort of a joke, mm. but it was, you know, I'd wear baggier clothing or something because you wouldn't want to show your shape. So for me, when I decided to write my book, it was just a no brainer for that to be the title. The only reason it's but is because we it's in America as well. So it was the, the sort of, so it could be both. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I was going to ask you how you came to write it, but it feeds into the title, just yeah. breaking that uh, beauty standard, that negative beauty standard that so many of us grew up witnessing in yeah. mainstream media. And when you were writing your book, with it being your first book, and I went through this with, with my first book, it felt natural to me, but also very foreign to me because this was an industry that I wasn't used to. Mm. Uh, how did you feel about stepping into a new industry from going, going from modeling to yeah. effectively publishing and literature? Like how did you manage that? In bite-sized chunks, <laughs> literally. Um, I don't know because everything I write about my book is stuff that I've already spoken about in my career. Yeah. And I I really did enjoy writing. I found it, you know, I found it very therapeutic. And I also learned loads whilst I was writing. Um, the publishing industry itself is a complete, uh, I, I don't, it's, 
hard. Lots of cogs, yeah. Lots of cogs. Um, The last 10 years of everything I've been trying to push and promote, I was able to speak about, but not only speak about, but tell everybody the, the things that happen in the fashion industry that I experienced as someone that didn't particularly want to do it. Mm. So I didn't have, at the beginning, I was sort of like, if I was being treated badly, I would speak up on it because I was like, this wouldn't happen if I was a teacher. So why is it happening in this industry? I didn't understand that there was, you know, a, a fashion, you know, clique and, and these are the things you have to do and don't. Well, no, that's not that's not how I work, baby. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to be told, you know, I, I remember going on set um, and notoriously when you when you work as a model and you go to set, you don't turn up with any makeup on. You know, your hair is slicked back. You turn up in baggy clothes because you don't want any sort of marks on you. I remember several occasions I've turned to set and I've had uh, one in particular, the the hair the hair and makeup artist, um, asked me to go and clean the bins, like take the bins out and stuff because he thought I was the cleaner wow. when I turned up. Because I was plus size and why would I, how would I be uh, even on, on set? Wow. It, there was like certain things and, you know, there's certain things that happen in the street like vanity sizing. Do you know about this? Yes, I yeah, I've heard about vanity sizing. Yeah, so it's when a brand will um, decrease, no, keep the same size, but decrease the actual label. Yeah. So if you're a 16 in one shop, they will keep the 16 but put it down to a 14 yeah. because they want women in particular to go and spend more money in a shop where they are, appear to be smaller. So there's lots of things that I learned in the industry that I was like, I need to speak up about these things because people don't know People have not experienced these things or been told these things. We are just sort of, you know, everything is sugar-coated a lot in the media. Um, and I wanted that to be be told. So in your book, you've been quoted as saying, comparison is the hijacker of positive thoughts. How does someone navigate comparison in the workplace? It's very difficult because it's in all of our daily lives. But I think it is um, finding... And figuring out what you are good at and really embracing yourself on those things. Because we, can, if you compare yourself to every single person, um, it's... I, what I, one of the things I always say is you always should aspire to be the best version of yourself. Because there are no two humans on this planet that are the same. So no matter how much you want to be that person in the workplace or in the media or in the fashion industry, you physically cannot. Even if you're a twin, you know, you, you have... Everyone has their own soul, their own personality, their own energy. So it's aspiring to be the best version of yourself and not someone else. That's not something that can easily, you know, happen overnight. But doing vision boards, doing moments of joy, writing all these things down that make you amazing and going back and checking on those things when you are feeling low will hopefully stop you comparing yourself to others. I think that's fantastic advice. And finally... What advice would you give to anyone listening who's at the start of their career journey? Is there any kind of like defining advice that we haven't discussed that you think is really important? I'm 34 and I still don't know what I'm doing, you know? Amen. Yeah, can we have a high five? Because yeah. I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm being completely honest. I'm winging it every day. I'm really grateful that I'm here with you right now and in this space. But honestly, like, I think the start of your career is... Your career could go in any different path. Yeah. You could meet one person, it could change. You could move countries, you could do all this thing. Is I think don't put too much pressure on yourself because life is quick. Things come at you very fast and you don't know that something could change overnight. And I think 
going with the flow as much as you can, but still focusing on whatever brings you that happiness. But please don't put too much pressure on yourself. When you look at like some of the most famous like film directors and actresses and like people that have, you know, built brands, some of them haven't done them like built their brands until they're 40 or, you know, directed movies until in their 50s. Like, I just think do not put too much pressure on yourself when you start a new career. That is some very key advice. This interview has been amazing. But before you go, I had a question come through on my Instagram that I would love for you to answer. So this question is from a lady called Pam. Here it is. How do you know when to keep going and when to pivot? I feel like this is perfect for you because you've built your own brand, you've released a book, you've modeled. I feel like you are the queen of going and pivoting at the same time. So how does one know when to keep going and when to pivot? I think when the energy goes, when the energy gets bad or the energy feels like you're dipping, you're not being the best version of yourself, switch it up. And also at the same time, you can still switch it up in the middle of things as well. Yeah. I think um, going with the flow um, and life's too, you know, life's too short. If you want to take risks, just go for it. I don't know if that's like too much of a like, just go for it advice. But I think... I've I've completely just fucked up that whole question. I'm <laughs> you haven't. You know what? You're you're actually quite right because I do think that people at the end of the day, people tend to regret the things they didn't do. Yeah. And there's actually a, an author. Um, she wrote a book called The Five Regrets of Dying. She worked in palliative care, and the key regrets in the five regrets always centered around living your life according to someone else's terms or not going for your goals, not going for your dreams. And I think even when we fail, the regret we have, the the regret we associate to failing is never as significant as the regret we associate to not trying. So I think you're right. Just go for it. Go for it. And like when you think about like going back to body image and, and the pressures that we have on ourselves and how we sort of compare ourselves to other people one thing I want to say is if you have people in your life that are elderly um or you know other people whenever you see the older generation on the beach in their 70s they don't care they are literally living their best lives because (laughs) you know what they've been through it all yeah and they've done the trials and tribulations of everything that's been thrown at them and they've now got to a stage in their 70s where they don't care what they look like and they are just in you know in the moment in the moment and enjoying that and we should be having that from the moment we come into this world and the moment we can start processing our own thoughts from being a teenager and being young people we need to find that self-love now and that whole thing is just about not giving not caring what other people feel of you and it's exactly what you just said about the you know the palliative care it's like enjoying the moment not listening to other people and you know running with your own joy I've got one more thing I want to do with okay. you. So I want to run some quick fire questions okay. with you. I've got some cards on the table. So I'm going to ask you some questions and I want you to give me very quick answers. We're going to start a timer now. You feel most confident when? A print cat suit. One thing you wish you'd known at the start of your career? Uh, don't listen to anyone else. Worst career advice ever? Uh, lose weight. 
You feel most engaged when? Uh, around people I love. Best career advice ever? Be yourself. Biggest career dream? Uh, um, cl- my own clothing range. In five years, you'd like to be? Living at the seaside. Best career moment so far? Um, working with my nan. Feeling empowered is? Feeling uh, comfortable. First job? A waitress. Biggest career risk? Uh, leaving my other job. You're killing this. <laughs> Favourite work song? Work song? Um, oh, it's going to have to be Roger Stewart, Baby Jane. Biggest motivator? Uh, my nan. She's, getting, she's coming up a lot in this, but she's amazing. I, I feel like I want to meet her. Um, your dream mentor? mentor uh, rihanna success is um happiness you feel most drained when toxic people are around me you feel most confident when i am with my friends i think you've done it all you know <laughs> in one minute, i thought it really slow you are a legend thank you so much felicity you have been amazing thank you babes And thanks as ever to our listeners for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, remember to tell your friends and please let us know what you think by leaving a rating and a review. If you'd like to join us for a live recording and rap party in London, head to the Carolina Herrera website for the chance to attend this limited ticket event at carolinaherrera.com. That's carolinaherrera.com. And one final thing before you go. If you're at the beginning of your career journey and you want the confidence to pursue success on your terms, then I invite you to apply for the Carolina Herrera Career Collective. It's created in partnership with She Almighty and it's a bespoke 12-month group coaching program designed to kickstart your career, discover new opportunities and be part of a community of like-minded women looking to do the same. Head over to the She Almighty website to apply at shealmighty.com forward slash Carolina Herrera Collective. That's shealmighty.com forward slash Carolina Herrera Collective. Now to a podcast we'd love to recommend. How to Own the Room, hosted by the stand-up comedian Viv Groskop. It's a great listen for anyone looking to hone their public speaking skills or just if you want to get a blast of confidence and inspiration. Viv became a stand-up after 15 years hiding behind her keyboard as a journalist and created How to Own the Room as a place to share lessons about performance and pressure. Now in its 18th series, they featured over 100 women from Hillary and Chelsea Clinton, fashion designer Norma Kamali and TV presenter Stacey Dooley, plus influential voices in tech like Abadeshi Osunshade and founders like Marcia Kilgore. It's a conversation unapologetically about women and what happens when we truly own the room. Check out How to Own the Room on all podcast platforms.